2 Samuel 9, 3 through 10. I'd like for you to read with me. The king then asks him what? Is anyone, read with me, still alive from where? Saul's family. If so, what? I want to show God's what? Kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. David asks Ziba, he says, where is he? <laughs> I feel like many of you in the room, you've been passed over because people saw something crippled. Saw something that was broken. Your family threw you away because they said that he'll always have this issue. She'll always have this issue. But I promise you that somebody's on the way. <laughs> I promise you somebody's on the way. Where is he, the king asked. And they said, where is he? He says, in Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker's son of Emil. Read this part. And as you read it, put your hand on your forehead. So David what? Sent for him. I need you to write there, proclaim it over yourself. God is sending somebody for me. God's sending somebody for my marriage. God is sending somebody for my abuse, my, my PTSD from my pet. God, you're sending somebody. Somebody's on their way. I don't need a word today. I don't need nobody to pray today. I need somebody. Somebody say somebody. I need someone. I need somebody that got some power to come in this thing and help me out. He said, so David sent for him and then he brought him. <laughs> he sent for him. Then he brought him from Maker's home. I want you to, this is my title. I, this, is, this is so interesting. I want you to preach my title to the person next to you. Tell your neighbor, say, I may be crippled, but I'm leaving. <laughs> I felt six people wanted to run, but you were too afraid to actually proclaim that that's you. But I don't know about you, but there are many areas in Joshua's life where he's crippled. And I don't really care about how ugly it looks. I might be crippled, but I'm getting out of here. Okay. If you keep playing, we're going to be in a mess. So you, so, so you, can, you, can, you can stay there, but you, you can. You can yeah. When we look at the word of God, there are specific stories that many of us already know. We've been reading them for a long time. Jonah and the whale. Joseph and his coat of many colors. And we can read over them so much that we miss finite details that are actually more important than what you heard like in your Bible study. Case in point, right? So we talk about Joseph and we say Joseph was thrown into a pit and then he ends up creating wealth for an entire region. There's seven years of famine, then there's seven years of plenty. And in the seven years of plenty, he, he keeps all of, uh, he makes sure that people pay their offering and that they have food for them. There's nothing there. And everybody gets so excited. But what we forget is that had Joseph's brothers not thrown him in the pit, then that would have never happened. Because when they threw Joseph in the pit, they actually made a down payment on his purpose. We also read other books of the Bible where certain things happen and we love about, we love the victory. We love when they win. But we always like throw away the part where they actually were broken down to the point where winning didn't even see like it was an option. Because when you can't see the sun at nighttime, it makes the sunrise that much sweeter. Today I'd like to talk to a couple of people that you feel like you've been in the dark. People have passed over you. Your own family has passed over you. You made one mistake, and that mistake has become your name. And your family doesn't even know who you are anymore because they haven't gotten past what happened to you or what you've done. Today, I'd like to encourage you that your identity is not what happened to you. Your identity also isn't what you have done. But your identity lies in this man named somebody say Jesus. You're good. You got you to stop because if you don't, he's going to come back in here and then we're going to, you know. So we read the story of David. David is found in the pasture. And as he's in the pasture, he's forgotten. A lot of people say that he was tending to his father's sheep because that was just his job. But the problem is, is that Jesse actually forgot about his son. What does that mean? 
That means that sometimes being born to a family doesn't mean that they automatically own you. I'll talk to this side of the room. Welcome to Family Series. I am your friend. My name is Joshua. I'm not going to hurt you today, but this word might sting a little bit. Is that all right? Okay. David gets stuck out in the pasture. His other brothers uh, end up trying to be anointed by the prophet. Doesn't happen. David finally gets anointed, and he's told that he will be king, but he's not king yet. For many of you in the room, God has given you a word, but you haven't seen it, tasted it, or touched it yet. And the longer that it takes from what God said to the time that you touch it, for many of us, we lose hope. Because we'll start saying things like this, God, this doesn't look like what you showed me. And our faith can be based off of thinking if God is good or not, based off of if we have it tangibly. Up until this point in 2 Samuel, David's life is coming to this crescendo where he's about to write the book of Psalms. Now, how many of you guys know the book of Psalms? So the book of Psalms is where David is now writing based off of all of the hell and high water that he's walked through. Now he starts writing at the end of his life what he should have been singing throughout his life. He starts writing these verses, and many of them, you've heard them in like your favorite songs. You've heard them in like a lot of CCM songs, gospel songs. But what we do is that we celebrate David for how undignified he was, and we celebrate him for how much of a great worshiper that he was, and we always forget about all of the times he messed up. And we have to realize that all the stuff that he messed up in actually makes the songs in Psalms much sweeter. Because he's not justified to sing how good is your faithfulness when he was unfaithful to God. Aren't you glad that God's faithfulness is not incumbent on your faithfulness? Aren't you glad that God's promises are not stuck to you promising? I don't know about any of you, but I prayed that prayer a million times. God, I promise, I promise, I promise. And as I'm promising, my heart posture is, if you get me through this, I'm going to recant on this promise, and I'm going to go right back to what I'm doing. But the cool thing about God is that in him, there is no can't. Like, he cannot lie. He cannot steer you wrong. So David begins writing these stories. He starts reading, uh, writing these songs. For us to be able to walk through hell and high water in our lives, but have learned what he went through. The reason why this book is so important is because everything that you've ever walked through, there's an example in this book. But if the enemy can get you not to open up this book, he'll make you think that what you're walking through is the first person to ever walk through it. Divorce is not, is, is, is not a, 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 a new concept. It's in here. Sexual sin is not a new thing. What we're dealing with right now when it comes to how many sexes there are, like that's not a new thing. Like It's in this book. But if the enemy can get you not to read this thing, we'll believe anything with, that has merit. Put a white coat on them, put a doctor in front of their name, and we'll believe anything. Why? Because we want to believe something that's bigger than us. Innately inside of every one of us is this want to worship. So David begins to write the books of Psalms, but he had to walk through something in order to get there. Look at your neighbor. Say he had to walk through something. In 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan, who is the king's son, his name is Saul, him and David become the best of friends. King Saul is jealous of the people's love for David, and he tries to kill him. Now, when you look at the word of God, this is actually backwards, because Saul's son, Jonathan, should have been the one that was king. That's how it works. If you are the king and you have children, you're supposed to be able to give that to who? Your children. But God called David. I want to make sure that every single person in this room knows that regardless of what your company sent, who got the promotion, if God said something else, that's just in the meantime. God called David. The people wanted Jonathan, but God said, I don't care what the people want. David, you're a king. Jonathan receives this word, doesn't get jealous of David, and instead of being frustrated with him because he should be king, he begins to teach David how to act like a king. He teaches David how to bathe himself. He teaches David how to walk. He teaches him how to eat. He teaches him, like, yes, you used to be in the pasture, but now that you're a king, there are some things you used to do in the pasture you can't do in here. You have servants for that. You don't have to tend to the flock of sheep. Now you're going to have to tend to the flock of a nation. And many of us in the kingdom, we ask God for significant promotion, and we get to the point where we're supposed to be leading people, and we lead them like we're still in the pasture. Ah. We get the opportunity 
We're in the king's palace. God has promoted us to an amazing level, and we squander it because we still look at people as sheep. So Jonathan begins to risk his life to make sure that David realizes this is how kings work. In 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan tries to persuade Saul not to kill David. Can you think about that? David is literally about to be murdered by the king that is there because of jealousy, and the king's son tries to save the man that the king wants to kill. That's like your parents wanting to kill the little boy from down the street, and you give him your inheritance and defend him against your parents. Makes no sense. But Jonathan realized that God called you, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of a bad bad decision. 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan warns David of Saul's intent because he's about to kill him again. Like the whole story, he's, he's trying to murder him. Jonathan and David make a covenant of friendship. There's a difference between having friends and having a covenant. When friends leave you, you shouldn't be surprised. Why? Because there's no covenant. Covenant says, if you leave me, you give me permission to come and get you. Covenant is when you tell somebody, regardless of what you walk through, regardless of what happens to you, I'm not going anywhere because what I'm supposed to fulfill in my life is directly connected to how I treat you. You want to know a way to be able to to eliminate people from your life is when they feel something spiritually and give you a call. They don't have to wait to see something on social media. They feel something in their spirit. They call you and say, hey, bro, you all right? Because now a covenant, it takes both people's hearts and it mends them together. You need some folks in your life that feel what you feel when you feel it. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm working way too hard. They feel it when? When you feel it. No, they don't feel it when they see you. They don't feel it when they see you hurt. The minute that your heart is broken, immediately they're like, whoa, my bro-. Like, what happened? So now what they do is that David is in a field somewhere about to go to war. Saul's going to murder David as he's on his way to war. And then John comes to David in the field and says, hey, bro, my dad's about to kill you. Don't go to war. Jonathan was willing to risk his life against his father to make sure that David became king. How many people do you have in your life that are willing to risk their neck just to make sure that your family makes it? How many people do you have in your life? Do you ever question, like, do you ever cook for your own family? You always cooking for me. Like, what, like, what, like, do you ever, like, you know you got kids. You know you got a husband. Because there are some people that their assignment is you. The thing that's actually helping my family, bro, is that your family makes it. So I need to make sure that somebody say you make it. 1 Samuel 20, 14 through 7, it says, and may you treat, this is Jonathan talking to David, because sometimes we make inner vows, but we never say it verbally. A lot of us, we tell ourselves inside that we love our families, but we've never said it. And that's one of the biggest things that destroys our families, because I don't know about you, I don't want to, I don't want to think you love me. I don't want to know you love me. I want to hear you love me. Because there's something different when it comes out of your mouth. Acts of service are great. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Vanessa, for cleaning the room. Thank you so much for doing my laundry. But there's something different when my wife looks at me in my face, regardless of what I'm walking through, and says, hey, hey, look at me. Hey, guess what? I love you. When you say I love you, the words have to go past your heart, into your brain, and out of your mouth. Okay, I'm already teaching. A lot of people like to just do things for people because you can do things with your hand and it never goes through your heart. But when you say, I love you, when Jonathan says to David, hey, I love you, what he's telling him is that I'm in this thing as far as you're willing to take me. And a lot of us have one-way covenants with people where our heart is connected to them, but their heart isn't connected to us. And we get left spiritually, why am I stuck here? Y'all so quiet? And we can be left spiritually empty-handed And your cup is not full because all you're doing is pouring into somebody that you have a covenant with, but they never said, I love you back. Okay, 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 okay. Jonathan says to David, he says, and may you treat me with what? Faithful love of the Lord as long as what? I live. But if I die, treat who? My family with this faithful love. So wait a minute. Well, what if one of your family members is a crackhead? You treat my family right. Okay, okay. What if one of my family members is struggling with their sexual orientation? We're making a pact. Regardless of whatever happens in my family, if I die, do what? Somebody say, take care of them. 
you need some people in your family that are okay pushing past the sin to get to people's heart. Where it doesn't matter what your baby's walking through, doesn't matter what type of lawsuit is on the table, I promise your daddy, as long as I have air in my body, I'm not letting you go. But we'll begin to throw away parents that go down to the jail cell, even though their son's a convicted murderer, and we'll tell her that she's wasting her time. I want to give you a little bit of clarity. At no point in time do you get the justified reason to stop being a parent. How can you say that, Josh? You're not a parent. I can say that because I got good ones. And there was some stuff that Joshua was walking through where people threw me away. And pastors Martin and Linnell walked through all of the fecal matter, through all of the viscera and all of the blood and were proud to call me their son. So if that, do you know what that did to me? You know what that did for me? What it did is it shared with me that regardless if anybody else walks with me, I know I got two people behind me. That will rip somebody's head off about me, regardless if, I'm, if it's justified or not. How many of you, that's how you feel about your kids? How many of you, that's how you feel about your spouse? How many of you, that, that's how you feel about a good friend of yours? Like, y'all can mess with all of them, but this one here? Y'all should do that. Let's be country just for a second. Like, y'all can mess with her, but somebody say, this one here? No, not here. Not here. Here. This one here? This one right here? Her? Uh-uh. I don't play about this one. I will hide the body about this one. I will smuggle drugs across the border about this one. But Pastor Joshua, that's illegal. I ain't playing about this one. I'll do the jail time. I had the gun. I was the shooter. I was the driver. You can't do all three of those at the same time. Please. About this one, somebody say, I don't play. Jonathan has that understanding about David. And David, write this word down, reciprocates his love back to him. Pastor Joshua, that's a really big word. Don't worry about it. I'm going to break it down. Reciprocates means if you give me two, I give you three. We think reciprocates means making somebody whole. If you give me two, I give you two. But reciprocate means that I give you enough that we're always in debt to one another. It's the person you ask for $20 and you get $100. And they don't expect for the other $80. Then when you give the money back to them, you give them 120. And then when they need something, you give it back to them, it's 150. And now what you're doing is you're creating incremental wealth amongst each other while still owing one another, but you'll never hold each other against it. Let me, let me, let me get to the word. Let me get to the word. Y'all want to keep saying it. It's okay. But if I die, treat my family what? With this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David saying, may the Lord destroy what? All your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan what? Loved David. How? As he loved himself. First Samuel 23, David is strengthened by Jonathan while trying to hide from Saul. First Samuel 24, David spares Saul's life. And Saul recognizes that David is a righteous man. After this happens, though, in 2 Samuel number 1, we find out that Saul and Jonathan go off to a war to fight and they end up dying in the war. So now David begins to mourn the death of his best friend and the king that was before him. You want to know the easiest way to get to promotion? Love people that you hate. David mourned the death of a man that was trying to kill him. He mourned the death of the man that was trying to kill him. And when he did this, he realized, I can't be king if I leave Jonathan's promise that I made him, if I leave it to him unopened. 2 Samuel 4 and 4, Saul's son, his name is Mephibosheth. David asks a man by the name of Ziba. He is the the servant in the house of Saul. In the Bible, we look at houses. There's no individualism. It's the house of Saul. Anybody watch Game of Thrones? So my name would be Joshua, son of Martin, who is begetting by Linnell Williams. Like, I can't just show up by myself. When I show up, my entire family shows up. They used to say it like this in the South. Don't embarrass mom and dad. Oh, maybe y'all didn't have parents like mine. I was afraid of embarrassing them because if I acted a fool in school, it wasn't me that was in trouble. It was Martin's parenting. If I messed up and slipped up and did something stupid, yeah, it was my fault. But they were looking at Martin and Linnell. You do it too. You go to the grocery store and see a child acting up. You don't look at the two-year-old. You look at the parents like this and you keep on pushing. 
Some of you wish that they would give you just 10 seconds and just turn the lights off for 10 seconds. I'm going to make sure this child is right. <laughs> David asks Ziba if there's anybody else in Saul's house because he cannot properly mourn his friend's death if he doesn't keep his promise. One way that you know that people really honor you is if they honor you after you're six feet under. Because you'll never know. Are the people in your family, the people in your friend group, are they trustworthy enough that when you write something in your will and you're not here anymore, you can trust them to actually do what they said that they would do? It's very easy to defend somebody when there's an enemy. It's a lot harder to defend somebody when there's nothing to defend them from because then we can become somebody say lazy. Y'all going to get it here in a second. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was what? Crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, what happened? She dropped him and he became crippled. It is possible to be hurt while being helped. One of the easiest places to be hurt, some of the deepest wounds, in, it is so quiet in here. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to teach to, to, to myself. Woo! I, I'm, 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 I'm working. Some of the deepest wounds that we have in our families didn't come because somebody was malicious. They were actually trying to help you. The nurse is taking care of Jonathan. This is going to set somebody free today. The nurse is taking care of Jonathan. She hears that his father and his grandfather have been murdered. In fear of the people that killed his parents coming to kill him, she scoops him up, takes off running. But while she's running... Sometimes there are obstacles in the ways of the people that are trying to help you. And as they're helping you, they fall and you become crippled. But that wasn't the original design that they wanted. This is when your parents start talking to you after you. I know a lot of you kids, it's fr you're frustrated with your parents. I get it. Trust me. Your parents are going to make a bunch of mistakes. They're currently making them. A lot of them are making the mistakes they promised themselves when they were your age. They're not going to make. And here's the, the, the pill popper. This is it, right? Like, you're going to make the same mistakes when your parents made them when you're a parent. But at some point in time, you're going to realize if you become aware that your parents' intention wasn't to hurt you. They were actually trying to. Her intention was to get him away from the danger, which she succeeded in. But she accidentally drops him and he becomes crippled. There's something very interesting in this scripture. It says, the child's nurse, she heard, then she picked him up, then she fled, then she hurried away, then she dropped him. It's she, 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 but he's the one that got crippled. I want to bring something to the table. Is that all right today? Is that all right if I feed you something that might be a little bit disgusting? I know a lot of people don't like spinach, but it actually has some vitamins in it that you need in your body. Is it okay that you trust me as your pastor? You call me pastor, but I'm about to be your pastor just for a second. And a lot of times when pastors be pastors, people don't like the pastor and they go find another pastor. So is it okay if I be your pastor just for a second? I just need three of you. Say yes. Okay. Okay. Many of the things that you are fighting in your life the biggest hurt that you have in your life was caused by people that you love, but they were actually trying to help you. For many of you, your parents were taking care of you while also trying to survive. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm in your mail because you're getting quiet. That's okay. I want you to really feel like... like the stuff that happened to you when you were five, six, and seven years old that you've never told anybody... Many of us are saying, well, my parents neglected me. But how can mommy neglect you when she's working six 12-hour shifts throughout the week? Please hear me. Please hear me, church. Please hear me, church. Don't check out. You can leave the church afterwards. That's okay. But you're going to hear this message today. Many of the people were taking care of you and things happened. It wasn't that they neglected you and threw you away. It was, I got to make sure that we got food on this table because mommy left and it's just me. And there's four of you. And I still have to pay alimony. So I know I can't pick you up every day after school. 
I know I can't walk you to the grocery store and go to the playground every day. And I know because of what I have to do every day by going to work, there's going to be some stuff I can't protect you from. God Almighty, I can't protect you from everything. But I'd rather you be crippled than be hurt for the rest of your life. Please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. The nurse might have, and this is just theory. This is not proven in the word, so just hear my heart. I don't want you to say this is the wrong doctrine. This is just my thought. But I think that sometimes as parents, they're willing to allow you to walk with a limp if it means saving your head from being cut off. Like, I'm okay with you having a limp. I'm also okay with you hating me for the rest of your life. But you don't know what I had to do just to make sure that you still had life. So if the biggest inconvenience that you got is that you hate mommy and you're walking on crutches, at least mommy knows that if I would have stayed there a second longer, neither one of us would be here. I need a single mom, single dad to stand up on your feet and say, I did the best that I could. I did the best I could. Did the best I could. They teach this family series every year. They say that a nuclear family, having a mother and a father is the best way to do it. Well, your dad's not here. What do you want me to do? And because of the abusive relationship I was with with him, uh uh-huh, I'm in your mail. Because of the abusive relationship, I can't trust another man. So now i got to look at you, my son, as my dad, my father, every other man that I know, and you're also my husband. So I'm doing the best I can, and we never teach those sermons. We don't teach them. We tell people that the fix to their family is getting married, but God can be the father in every single fatherless home. He can be the mother in every motherless home. He can be the doctor in the sick room. I've seen it with my own eyes. I know what I'm talking about. So when people get divorced, the rush should not be to get married. It should be to get whole. 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 And a new man that loves you better than the other one is not going to make you whole. It's when God comes in and he takes the parts of your heart that were ripped apart from physical, sexual, physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse. He mends them together, makes you whole, and then that's what becomes attracted. So many of the things that you guys as parents have done, you will never get the thank you that's deserved. Because our children, your children, will look at the crippling of their legs rather than how you saved their life. Ah! Somebody has to say thank you. The biggest inconvenience in my life is this. Not that I'm six feet under. I'm stuck. Let me move on. Let me move on. It is very difficult to help someone while you are trying to run for your own life. People can only take care of others based on their exposure to care. (laughs) I can't care for somebody and love on them if I've never received it. And I've never seen it. And spiritually here in this room, there are many of you that are crippled. and You're being blamed for not being able to walk straight, but people have never looked at your feet. I already know. I already know, Damon, me and you. Why is your family so behind and nobody ever wants to come and look at your feet? They don't know that you've, been, that you've been fighting through generations of addiction. And yes, I can praise God and say hallelujah, but when I go back to the crib, there's a pill bottle that has my name on it that I got to literally pray to ask God. God, I really know I don't need these pills. I know that you got mercy and grace, but God, I got this thing that's been fighting me. And this is the coolest thing about it is that for many of us in our families, we're not fighting addiction because we started it. It's just a demon that wasn't killed in the last couple of generations, and it's your turn. And I speak right now underneath the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit that that demon has to go back to hell where it came from. Somebody say amen. amen. You're going to beat it this time. You're not going to pass this hand on my You're not going to pass this thing on to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Somebody that's bold, sit up on your feet and say, it ends with me. Am I carrying this to my children? My Karen, I'm, I'm going to be the last crippled person in this family. Tired of my family getting wealth and they go from hand to mouth, hand to mouth. No, I'm starting the savings. I might not ever be able to go to Jamaica and put my feet in the sand, but my babies will. Huh? I might not be able to live in 10,000 square feet and I might only see 2,000 square feet in this apartment. Somebody said, but my babies will. I'm willing to take it. I'm willing to take the lump. I'm willing to be the one that's crippled so that they can run. Jonathan makes a promise with David. David, if I die, you got to take care of my family. You got to. Because if I'm not here, somebody's got to take care of my kids. It's really cool to be together for the Instagram photo that's super dope and gets 100 likes. But who's with you after the camera shot goes off? 
and your family's walking through some real stuff. I'm talking about some real stuff. I'm talking about some stuff you're going to get jail time for. I'm talking about some stuff they're about to take your kids away. I'm talking about some stuff they're about to take your house away. Will they still be there for the picture after you make it through? It's awesome to show up to the Super Bowl, but you weren't there when we were losing. The nurse was trying to help keep Mephibosheth safe and ended up crippling him. Many of the people that hurt us in our families wasn't malicious. They were just doing what they knew. She hurried away. She dropped him and he became crippled. She hurried away means that sometimes people don't know what they're doing. I'm going to pop your bubble. Your mom has no idea what she's doing. Every child, and I know I'm popping your dad's bubble, like he knows everything, he knows nothing. If he's submitted to a God named Christ, he's doing this fathering thing in this thing called faith. Just being, even the best of you don't know what you're doing. But there was a time when your dad used to think that you thought that he was Superman. There was a time when fathers used to think that my little girl thinks that I can do no wrong. And they loved our, you love your children through all of our mistakes. You make one mistake that we know about and children throw parents away. Every child in here, I bet you, I promise you that there was a night where you ate and mommy and daddy didn't. Oh, I, I, you, don't, you don't want to talk now. You want to know why you can't say anything? Because they didn't tell you. I'm trying to get y'all free, free today. Is that all right? She hurried away, which means that people don't know what they're doing. All of us in our families are ill-equipped, uninformed, and ill-prepared until we get new information. All of us are uninformed, ill-equipped, don't know what we're doing, when? Until we get new information. Second thing is that she dropped him after she hurried away. Being dropped means that there are incidents that happen in our families that are uncontrollable. But what they do is they give us scenarios that we are responsible to fix. I know we don't like that word in the church, responsibility. We like to pass everything over. The stuff that happened to you in your family, look at your neighbor and say, it was an accident. But how you move forward from that accident, look at your neighbor again and say, it's your responsibility. Pastor Joshua, you don't know what I walked through. I don't have to know what you walked through because every family is going through something that's, un un like that's uncontrollable. Every family. There is not one family that you see that doesn't have something deep, dark, disgusting, and hairy that lies beneath the surface. Some families are really good at uh, uh, covering them over. Some families are really good at killing them. Some families are really good at just playing sleep and then allowing their children to inherit the monster. But then there's another type of person, which is a kingdom family, which tells their family, we're going to kill this thing. And when we kill this thing, I'm going to chop off its ear so you can be reminded. I'm going to chop off its eyeball so you can be reminded. And daddy's going to keep his head. And every time we go through a hard time, I'm going to take this head out. I don't care how stinky it is. I don't care if it's got maggots. I don't care how disgusting it looks. But I'm going to have to remind you of what God brought us through so that when we're sitting in something that's ugly, we can still look at God and say that he's good. Families should be carrying around the things that they killed. You should carry it around with you. Not just watching football games and watching movies. You should remind your children of the stuff that happened. Granddad should tell you how he was an alcoholic for 50 years. And you should teach your children to actually have grace and compassion for the people in your family that are willing to go through the vulnerableness to share with you. All this last weekend, I had lunch with an individual person and I was sharing with this person that for me, being vulnerable, it takes no work. It's very easy for me. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I never feel vulnerable. Like, I ne I've never heard, f felt taken advantage of. Some of it is because of, it's my chemical makeup, but much of it is because I was so protected as a child that there's not a bunch of stuff in my life that happened that would cause me not to trust someone. But what can be destructive for me is when somebody doesn't want to be vulnerable, me judge them based off of my experience. Is where I can look at somebody and say, well, you, you're so closed off. Why, you don't trust nobody. Why would I throw you away? And I don't know that something happened to them when they were six years old that nobody knows. And because of what happened to them then, now it doesn't matter. Even if I lay hands on them to pray with them, now they associate my hands on them with something else that happened. Can I talk for real? And there's real stuff that's happening in your families that just prayer will not fix. It's prayer, faith, and there has to be somebody scream this four-letter word. Say action. action. 
got to do something. And the best action for any and every family is to talk about what has crippled your family. Somebody say, talk about it. She hurried away. People don't know what they're doing. She dropped him. Incidents happen that are uncontrollable. After all of that, he became crippled. Mephibosheth had to live with what happened to him for the rest of his life. People, people's responses to high-risk situations usually affect those who are helpless. Many times we put on people what happened to them. So we no longer call him Mephibosheth. We call him the cripple Mephibosheth. Uh, we, we don't call you Mary. We call you the divorced woman, Mary. And what it does for us and our families, is it justifies us quarantining ourselves from people that we think we're holier than. We take what they did or what happened to them and we put it in front of their name so that we feel justified in throwing them away. And the reason why I know I know what I'm talking about is because many of you here in this room, you can't remember the last time you were called by your first name. Because every time you're around the people that are supposed to love you, they remind you of what you've been delivered from. Because the deliverance always happens in the person. Very rarely does it happen in the people. Because it's easier for us and it's lazier for us to call you what happened to you. Because then I don't have to go through the hard work of loving you. And I don't know if you know, but loving people is difficult. But loving your family can be darn near impossible. So what's the easier thing to do? To dig through their life to try to find some reason to throw them away. And Mephibosheth now went from being the son of the prince in the palace to being in the lowest place of the lowest place, which is called Lodabar. He went from literally being able to ask for cheese and getting 17 different options, some from overseas, to being in a place where he doesn't even have enough money for cheese whiz. He went from being in a place where everything that he ever asked for, he had people that were waiting on his beck and call to a point where now he's in the lowest place of the lowest place, but he's also crippled, so he can't even leave where he's at. And for many of you in your lives, that's exactly what your life looks like. You made one mistake, one mistake, and your family, your friends, and the people that said that they loved you took you from the place where you were in the palace with them. They threw you in the lowest of the low, and they won't even come and try to help you figure it out down there. And then the conversations turn out like this. Well, you know, Josh, you know, he's just a terrible person. You know, but we'll pray his strength in the Lord. It's like, I don't need you to come and pray for me. Somebody say, help me. Thank you for your prayer. I appreciate it. But in all your prayer, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you what to do. Stop praying. Oh, okay. We're going to be a Baptist church today. All right. I got you. Your infirmity is an improper indicator of your identity. Cancer is not your name. Divorce, it's not your name. Uh -huh. They don't like this one. Infidelity, it's not your name. Same grace that God has for the murderer. He has for the person that cheated and had a family on the opposite side of town. Joshua, you can't say that. Come and take the mic from me then. Because at some point in time in your life, you're going to need the grace that you don't want to give to somebody else. I'm just, I'm just, keep on living, keep on living. And the people that you're talking about, you're going to be filling your mouth with the stuff that you're saying about them. And the Holy Spirit isn't the type to tell you, I told you so, but I'm as your pastor going to look at you and be like, hey, don't, don't you remember? You're the person that you used to talk about. I'm not trying to point any shade, but maybe we should start praying for folks instead of pointing the finger. So now... <laughs> Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. It's two words. Somebody say low. Debar. Not debarge. Not debarge. Not, not, not debarge. All my folks were like, no. Low. Debar. Debar means word or thing. Low is a negator prefix, which means no. So not only 
is Mephibosheth in the lowest place, he is nothing in the lowest place. <laughs> For many of us in our families, we feel like we haven't done in our life, anything in our life because our cousin just got another doctorate degree. Okay. <laughs> and brothers and sisters in their 50s and 60s are trying to rip each other apart because one person got married and the other one didn't. But the one that didn't is jealous but never desired marriage. Jealousy is so potent that you'll begin to want things in your life that God never called you to. And if you get it, now you don't even have the passion to figure it out because God didn't give you the passion for it. So Mephibosheth is not just in the lowest place of the lowest place. He's nothing in the lowest place, and he can't walk. Like, it's one thing to be born in the projects, right? Okay. But now you're not just born in the projects. You're born in the projects, but you live on the corner, and you're crippled, and you don't even have a wheelchair, so you just sit there all day as people walk past you to remind you of what you can't do. Isn't it interesting that people remind you of the stuff that you already know about you? <laughs> Joshua, you have dark skin. That's crazy. What? I'm black? Whoa. You mean there are disadvantages that come with having dark skin? I never knew. <laughs> and now Mephibosheth is being called by his infirmity. We do a terrible job of disconnecting people from what they did or what happened to them. If it was an apt description being Lodabar, it would mean that this place was lacking a good pasture. And at this time, the way in which you knew that you had money in your economy is that you had green land to be able to feed animals, that you could sell the animals, right? And if you couldn't sell the animals, at least you had something to eat. In English, we might say that this is literally in the middle of nowhere. But then 2 Samuel happens. So think about it. Has anybody ever in the room lost something of great value? I'm not talking about a bag. I'm not talking about a ring. I'm talking about like you lost your confidence in a season. I, I'm not, I'm not talking. I'm, I'm really not here to play. Like you lost hope in a season. And I'm not talking about like I was thinking about suicide. Like you were like, if nothing happens by this weekend, I am out of here. Have you ever lost joy? I'm talking about the most valuable stuff. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about like you lost a family member and your joy left you. You lost your grandmother, your mother, your father, your grandfather, an auntie, a niece, an uncle, a baby. You named the child. You asked God for the child. Then you, had, you miscarried. And it's just like, I asked God, that, am I all right? Y'all are so sorry. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. You asked God for the blessing. And now it seems like the blessing has been stripped away from you. And it wasn't just the blessing that was stripped away from you. Now your joy is gone. It's like, if now that you've taken this, there's no reason to live anymore. Mephibosheth is in that place, but he's also that place in that place. Okay, there's some people that are sad, and then there are some people that are sadness in sadness. Like, it's just like I'm in the bottom of the barrel. doesn't feel like I can get, figure, my, figure this thing out. But then in verse 5, it says, so David sent for him. And even as Mephibosheth is sad, somebody's on their way. <laughs> even though he can't walk, somebody's walking towards him. I want to encourage you to know that that prayer that you prayed, God definitely heard it. And even though you're broken right now in your dating relationship, you might feel broken right now in, in, your, in your finances or in your, your oppression, depression, your anxiety, whatever's going on with you, that even if you are immobile, there is somebody that is on their way to come and get you. Look at your neighbor and say, someone is on their way to get you. David sent for him and he brought him from maker's home so significant as I was reading this because a lot of people get sent for but then once people see how bad it is they don't bring them back with them somebody's about to get free David said go not don't just go look at his issue I want you to pick him up and bring his issue with you here this is what it looked like can you guys come and help me David is in the palace. And two strapping gentlemen that are super strong, Chad, you can help. Two strapping gentlemen come to his aid. Come on, brother. Come on, Kai. 
two burly men. Everybody say thank you to the burly men. No, you got to say first. Say, say thank you. No, come on, say thank you. Two burly men. David talks to these two men because as the king, I can't leave this place. It would be wrong for me to leave the highest point and be in the lowest point. So what he tells them, he says, hey, there's a man by the name of Mephibosheth. He can't walk. So what I need for you to do when you go and get him is I need you to make it a big deal and make sure that everybody in the place that gave up on him, make sure that everybody in the place that spit on him, make sure that they know that they can't walk on him and spit on him no more. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and get him. And now David sends men to go and get a man that felt like everybody didn't want him. Now, I want you to imagine, what did Mephibosheth feel when he saw them? We always talk about how he made it back to the kingdom. But there's something different when you see somebody come and get you. And these folks say, we don't care if you can walk. We don't care about how much you, like, we're going to get you to where you need to go. There is a remnant in the church and in the earth that is willing to come and pick up your family where it's at, regardless of how dirty it is, regardless of how broken it is, to bring you and pick you up and bring you in this place. Now, here's the thing. They're supposed to put him in the, in the seat, teaching moment, because a lot of people will bring you to a certain point just to put your infirmity on display. They want you close to their family so they can talk about how broken yours is. And you can't even do anything to get off the table. So you got to be very, very careful when you're friends with certain people. Do you want me close so that I can learn from you? Or do you want me close so that you can put me on the table and so people can make fun of me? Did you bring me to the house that's bigger than mine so you can brag about what you got? I get that your pantry is bigger than both of my baby's rooms put together. I get it. But if you're not interested in showing me how to get it, don't invite me no more. Today, you got permission to say no to anything that you do not believe is going to help your family. And somebody said yes. So Mephibosheth, his legs didn't work, but his upper body did. I feel like David figured out a way. Even though I'm the king, I'm going to help you out. Regardless of how awkward it looks, Regardless of how frustrating it is, I'm going to make sure that you are able to sit now at my table. Let's go back to the word. Somebody's about to get free today. So David sent for him and brought him to Maker's home, from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, it says that Mephibosheth bowed to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Then King David told, I'm going to call him Phibi because that's what dad says. Mephibosheth, I'm, 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 it's, it's not working for me. David told Phibi, <laughs> don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show you kindness to you because of my Wait a minute. Now the covenant that David had with Mephibosheth's father, he's dusting it off and giving him the same respect. There used to be a thing in time growing up where you could walk into a place, and if, you did, if people didn't know you, all you had to say is, like, my daddy's name is Martin. And the minute they heard it, oh, you Martin's boy. But do you know? Who your father is. Do, do you? Martin isn't more powerful than Jesus. Some situations that you walk into, and I know a lot of people like that just sounds too simple to be true, but I've seen it with my own eyes. When something walks into the room and you literally can look at it and say, like, I'm I'm God's kid. Like, I don't know. First of all, I don't know how you got in here. But secondly, I don't think you, did you see the name that was on the house when you walked in here? I know I'm not crazy. One of us is. I know it ain't me. So this demon, you must have, you, 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 
you, you have to have lost your, you have, do you know who I am? Matter of fact, do you know whose I am? For some of us, you about to get your gangster lean back when it comes to demons. Like, you know what? I don't even want you to go to hell yet because I want a couple rounds with you spiritually. So when I send you back to hell, you got a couple of black eyes to remind every demon in hell. I can't go to that. Hey, bro, don't go to that. Hey, the Williams house, don't go over there. Look at my eyes. You see how I'm walking? I was walking okay. But now, like, don't go over there. Somebody say, don't go over there. What would happen if you taught your kids to start speaking in tongues when they saw a figure in the house? Oh, oh. What what would it do in your house? Because there's the biggest thing that you need to understand today. That the enemy will be coming after you, not because he thinks you're powerful, but because he knows how powerful you would have if you had unity in your house. What could you do in your house if you had unity? I didn't say you had to like each other, but you got to work together. So Mephibosheth is at the table. David... Tells him a couple of things that he would have told Jonathan had he still been alive. He says, Jonathan, I will give you. Oh, I'm sorry. He says, don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Well, how are you going to show me kindness? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you all the property that was once belonged to your grandfather Saul. And then after that, you're not just going to be in the palace, but you're going to sit at which table? My table. The reason why the table is so important is because the table evens the playing field. Because at the table, you can't tell that his legs don't work. You 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 might be able to see him, but you don't need your legs once you get to the table. You don't need your legs when you get to the table. You know the only thing that you need? So if any of you in your family feel like you haven't been able to move, but you still got a praise in your mouth, you're actually okay. Because the enemy can take away your arms and your legs. But if he can't take away your voice, that's what God created everything with. It says in the beginning, God said, and he said, and he said. So instead of trying to fight stuff with our hands, we got to start fighting stuff with our words. Second Samuel 9 and 8. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And I think it takes one to know one. I think it takes a dead dog to know a dead dog. I just want to talk to the dead dogs in the room just for a second. I'm not talking to nobody that, like, God has been perfect to you and your life has been great. I'm talking about some people that have messed up and been redeemed, 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 messed up and been thrown away, then redeemed, messed up and been redeemed, found a group of friends, messed up, friends left you, been redeemed, found new friends. Like, I'm talking about, like, your life was a mess. Somebody said, my life was a mess. I only want to talk to you for the next 10 seconds. All the perfect people, you could turn your ears off. There's only a certain level of perfection that you can live to in your life before people will start to see the cracks in your life. But you want to know the most amazing thing about cracks in your life? If you love God, Jesus shines through your cracks. If If you got broken parts in your heart, if you got broken parts in your life, the most amazing thing about God is that God can shine through your insecurity. God can shine through your brokenness. Somebody say, God shine through me. David understands what it means to be left alone. David knows what it means to be in the lowest place of the lowest place. He had cheated on his wife. He had killed a man because he cheated on his wife. He had children that were trying to kill him. He had dropped the Ark of the Covenant. He had been through all these different things. So we all love the book of Psalms, but what he was talking about in the book of Psalms was thanking God for not throwing him away when he was justified to do so. David is able to listen to Mephibosheth call himself a dead dog because he had also written Psalms 8, 4 through 5. Oh, you don't know what that is? Psalms 8, 4 through 5 says, who is man that you are mindful of him? (laughs) This is David talking to God. Who am I that you are mindful of me? And the son of man that you visit me. For you have made him a little bit lower than the. Now here's the part that's going to mess you up. This is why the version of the Bible that you read, look at your neighbor, say is important. King James was terrified of what the actual scroll said. So instead, he had to put this mediocre word called 
angels. Now, isn't it interesting that we believe in Genesis that God made us from him, but here it says that we're made lower than angels. Why would God take the time to make us from the same stuff that he's made from and then put us underneath something else that's not him? When you read the New Living Testament, it actually reads a little bit different. Can I read it to you? What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God. And crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their, somebody scream, authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. The table evens the playing field. Can you bring me that, 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 that uh, what, what you're sitting on, please? This is the coolest thing about the table. There's somebody on their way to restore you. Because for some of us, sit this thing warm. For some of you, being at the table is not enough. For many of you here in this building, people have been making fun of your issue your entire life. And you can't get away from it. You're 50 years old. And your nickname is what you did. Like every cousin that you know named Stank Stank, it's not just the nickname. We were on, I'm serious, please hear me. We went on a trip one time. We were in Louisiana. And this older man, he's 50 years old. And 50-something years old, I remember my daddy asked, like, why do they call you that? You're a grown man. Like, for the patriarch's family, at one point in time, he was so scared in a fight growing up when they were running away from the Klan that he used the restroom on himself. And they called him Stank. So it's funny when we laugh about it. But what are we reminding this older man of when we call him this nickname? I believe today that many of you, the nickname that's been on your life, God wants to break it off this morning. Because somebody is coming, somebody say, to restore me. Wasn't enough for Mephibosheth just to be at the table. David said, you know what? You sitting at the table isn't enough. I actually want to do something else for you. Because Mephibosheth was now an old man. And he didn't know how to walk because he didn't get to walk only for like five years of his life. What David said was, I'm not just going to sit you at the table. I'm going to cover up. I'm going to cover up what happened to you. And for many of you in the room, you've been exposed your entire life, and nobody came to help. They pointed fingers at you. They talked about how you were in Lodabar, but nobody had the guts to come and get you out of Lodabar. They made fun of what happened to you. Somebody touched you in the wrong way, young lady, and they said that you deserved it because you were asking for it. And now they call you fast, but it's just like nobody came to help me. I was going to name this sermon series, I Didn't Always Walk Like This. There was a point in my life when I was walking up straight. But think about it this way. What if they would have put braces on Mephibosheth's legs the day he broke them? What if they would have restored him the minute they heard something happened to him? And many of you in this room have never been restored because it was easier for you to be dropped and nobody heal you. And I want to share with you today that there's a man named Jesus who broke his body for every area in your life that's broken. Somebody shout, every area. And I know this might be sentimental to some of you. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? But I just need the hands of every person. I need to know I'm talking to you. I need you to lift your hand. I'm talking to you. People have thrown you away. People have called you all types of names. People didn't want to help you. You were the laughing stock of your family, of your coworkers, everywhere that you are. I want you to stand up on your feet and meet me. I want you to stand up on your feet and meet me. I know it might be a little bit weird, but I want you to meet me. We're getting free today. We're getting free today. Celebrate them as they come, AWC. We're getting free today. Somebody say, we're getting free today. 
God doesn't want to just put you at the table. He wants to heal your legs. He wants to give you new life. Yes, Lord. If you're serving, drop what you're doing if that's you. We're about to move a little bit different if that's okay. They dropped you. They didn't just drop you. They made fun of the way that you walk after you got dropped. And nobody cares enough to have the conversation with you about what happened to you. Pastor Joshua, you don't, want, you don't know what happened to me in the summer of 1997, but you want to know what? God does. And I promise you he was there the minute that it happened. And his desire is to be with you even now. 